The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Natural healing is an evolving field with new discoveries coming forward every day. Join us to find out more about the products and methods that will work for you. Welcome to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, a program with honest information and straightforward talk that will help you take control of your health. Now, here's your host, Howard Strauss. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to The Power of Natural Healing. I hope everybody had a uh, good and healthy and happy new year and um that we start off uh, uh, another year in a uh, in a very positive on a very positive note. Uh this uh, program is brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com and the Gerson Institute uh bringing you the best of alternative health uh in um in in for for years for 30 years now. Um, we have a fascinating guest on. Um, Paul and I have already had some uh, some great conversations. Um, it's uh, Dr. Paul Connett, and Dr. Connett is a graduate of Cambridge University in England and holds a Ph.D. in chemistry from Dartmouth College. Uh, he's taught chemistry at St. Lawrence University in Canton, New York, since 1983. And he specialized in environmental chemistry and tox- toxicology. Retired in May 2006. Um, over the past 26 years, his research on waste management has taken him to 49 states in the United States and 54 other countries, where he has given over 2,000 pro bono public presentations. Ralph Nader said of Paul Connett, "He is the only person I know who can make waste interesting." Uh, there's a lot more. Uh, Paul is also uh, the uh, the founder of uh, the uh, the fluoride, uh, one of the co-founders of the Fluoride Action Network (FAN) um, at uh, www.fluoridealert.org, and he has given invited presentations all over the world. Um, and and so we have the great. Honor and privilege to have with us uh, Dr. Paul Connett. Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Howard. I'm happy to be here. Um, Paul, first of all, um, I would like to uh, I would like to ask you about uh, about your. Uh, you have a new book, is that correct? Yes, we two other scientists and myself published a book in October of 2010. Chelsea Green is the publisher mm-hmm. and the title is the case against fluoride and there were three of us three three pro- retired professors and we had plenty of time to read all the literature we had james beck who's an md phd uh, physicist from the university of calgary and Alba- um, uh, calgary alberta and professor uh, spedding micklem professor of biology um, from edinburgh and myself 
as you mentioned, the chemistry. So we had a chemist, a biologist, and a physicist, and an MD thrown in, and we looked at the the whole literature of flora, fluoridation. Both it's uh, uh, our, our argument is it's a very very bad practice because once you put fluoride in the water, you can't control the dose, you can't control who it goes to, uh, no one's monitoring the process, no one's taking responsibility for it in the United States. Um, a bad practice. But in addition to that, the surprise is that the evidence that it actually works, that swallowing fluoride reduces tooth decay, is extremely weak indeed for a very obvious reason. Even the promoters now recognize that it works topically. It works on the outside of the teeth. So it's absolutely no need to swallow fluoride, and it's dangerous doing so because the other big chunk of the literature indicates that there are many, many health concerns and, and there is no question, Howard, that given sufficient dose, that fluoride damages health because millions of people in India and China and other parts of the world that have high natural levels of fluoride in their water or other sources of fluoride have had their, damage, their health seriously damaged. So the only argument as far as the safety of fluoridation is concerned is, is there an adequate margin of safety? And, of course, there absolutely is not. There is not an adequate margin of safety. For example, from the, if you look at the 25 studies now which indicate a lowering of IQ uh, associated with fluoride exposure, it's just simply not an adequate margin of safety to protect all children in the United States or other fluoridated countries from this impact on, on the brain. So that's basically the book. And when it was published, I said to my wife, I said, it feels like I've been constipated for 14 years and someone's just allowed me to, you know what? She said, well, don't say that. So I say it everywhere. But, but well, you know, you're saying, you're saying all kinds of things about the toxicity of fluoride. Um, but Absolutely. as a waste management person, um, have, you, have you given any thought to the possibility which I believe to be a real motivating force, of the industries who create large amounts of fluoride waste, like fluosilicic acid and, uh, yeah. uh, and, and sodium fluoride, um, to, that they have a major problem on their hands uh, of getting rid of this horrible uh, toxic waste. They can't put it in the air, in the water, in the, uh, on the ground, because it kills everything that it touches. And so, well, yes. And so, and so, what, what, what I, what I suspect that they're doing is they're they came up with some kind of nonsense excuse to put it in our water, basically to get rid of it by passing it through our bodies on the way into our groundwater, our streams, and our environment. Is that a possibility? Well, I, th I think um, that may be one aspect. If you go back to the beginning, and, and Chris Bryson has written a brilliant book on this whole issue called the fluoride deception. He spent 10 years writing that. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah, excellent. It's, it's a brilliant book, 100 pages of, of documentation. And he, he shows a collusion between the U.S. Public Health Service at the time in the 1950s and, and the Fluorine Lawyers Association. And the Fluorine Lawyers Association were representing uh, a number of industries that either use fluoride or produce fluoride as a pollutant. And there were two concerns here. And I think the major concern was one of liabilities, that they, they were already, the, for example, the aluminum industry was already f facing numerous 
lawsuits from farmers who'd had their cattle, their, their vegetation, the crops damaged by fluoride. And in fact, the Department of Agriculture said that uh, the, the, the pollutant that caused more damage to agriculture than any other air pollutant was fluoride. That was the statement in 19, the 1930s. So there was no question that these industries, the aluminum industry, the steel industry, the ceramics and so on, that put out fluoride as a pollutant were worried about liabilities, not just from the farmers, but the workers in their factories that were heavily exposed to fluoride. Now, in addition to that, I think more or less as a kind of auxiliary benefit to this practice over the years has been the fact that some industries, um, in particular the phosphate fertilizer industry, is now getting rid of this, this waste product. And the irony is it's a hazardous waste. And the irony is they can't dump it into the sea by international law because it's too concentrated. And it can't dump it locally because it's too concentrated in streams and lakes. But if someone buys a hazardous waste in the United States, it no longer has the hazardous waste classification and cradle-to-grave regulation. It becomes a product. It becomes a product. And, and, and that's being exploited by the people that promote fluoridation, the waterworks, and so on. And that, incidentally, is not such an unreasonable um, regulation, because if you uh, think of the chemical industry for a moment, and think of that you're in government. Now, if the chemical industry, when it's producing a waste product, say, say it's chlorine gas, is waste. Now, if another chemical industry can use your waste chlorine, that should be applauded. And, and the EPA's position is, hey, do as much of that as you can. But I don't think they ever envisaged this notion that simply by buying a hazardous waste yeah, by, by some other entity, not to reuse it in industry, but to put it in the drinking water, for goodness sake. I don't think they ever envisaged that, but that is the loophole. As convenient, and, as, convenient as it is. But I don't think it's – I don't personally don't think that is the tail that's wagging the dock. Um, I think the phosphate fertilizer industry, and if you look at the saving from having to dump this as a hazardous waste, pay for it for, to be treated as hazardous waste, that would cost them a lot of money, and obviously they're making a lot of money from people buying it from them. But all over, that's probably, if you add the two together, it's probably um, not more than about $200 million. And that gonna, is small okay. potatoes, I have small to, potatoes. I have to break in here for uh, a okay. moment. We're, we're coming up on a break. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating. Uh, right after the break, I, I would like to also take uh, take up the uh, the importance of the military aspect uh, of the of the creators and manufacturers and uh, and users of atomic uh, weapons uh, who who need need it to uh, release large amounts of fluoride uh, to to make their weapons uh, relatively uh, inexpensively. Um, it being a, a, another large um, stakeholder in being able to use fluoride. Um, this uh, this program is uh, brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com, uh, and we uh, we do carry several of the uh, uh, several of the books that uh, are very uh, very interesting and, uh, and and informative on this subject, uh, including uh, the the fluoride uh, the fluoride deception. And um, and we invite people to look in on us. Uh, also, the Gerson Institute, 
the Gerson Institute is has been providing information and uh, and and direction to therapeutic um, uh, to, to natural therapy for over 30 years with thousands upon thousands of healed patients from all manner of chronic and degenerative diseases. Um, this is Howard Strauss, your host, and we're, uh, we have on the line, uh, Dr. Paul Connett, and we will rejoin you, uh, in just, uh, in just a couple of minutes after the break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Power of Natural Healing with your host, Howard Strauss. To be a part of our discussion this week, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com. And now, back to The Power of Natural Healing. Welcome back to The Power of Natural Healing. Uh, this is Howard Strauss, your host, and uh, and I have with me uh, Dr. Paul Connett, a retired professor of chemistry from uh, the, uh, from the um, College of St. Lawrence University in Canton, New York. Um, Dr. Connett has spent many years uh, with uh, gathering and analyzing uh, data from uh, from the uh, of the human effects, the health effects. Of fluoridation of the water, of, fluorid, of dental fluoridation, and fluoride's effects on human health, um, and he has uh, he has now helped to produce a book called "The Case Against Fluoride," Chelsea Green Publishers, and um, and we were talking about the various different motivators for why uh, industry and the government would want to force uh, fluoride onto onto us onto the general population. Uncontrolled dosage, uncontrolled uh, uh, observation of effects, 
and so forth. And I, I brought up the, 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 the fact that, by the way, is brought up um, by uh, Christopher Bryson in his book, The uh, Fluoride Deception, that in the early days, uh, the way that the government made atomic weapons was they separated uh, they separated U-235 from U-238, the fissionable material from the non-fissionable material, using a process that w- that heavily involved fluoride gas, uh, uranium, by, by combining it with uranium to make it uranium hexafluoride, and then putting it through miles and miles of, uh, of, of diffusers. Um, so... So when they uh, when they got the uh, when they got the uranium out the other end, they had to get rid of the fluoride gas, and for a long time they just vented it at night so that people couldn't see what they were what they were doing. They vented it at night through the smokestacks uh, of the factory, but it caused so much devastation downstream, downwind of of the factories that uh, that it was getting to be a major issue so that you know in order to be maintain their ability to produce atomic weapons the government was very very much on the side of of being able to use and vent uh fluoride and be able to get rid of it um for from our defense uh, industry our um, uh, our military was was very very uh, insistent on it uh, so that was when you have the government and industry on the same side of an argument. Well, you know, citizens don't stand a chance. Um, would you care to comment on that surmise? Well, I'm not. I'm not absolutely certain of all those details, Howard. What I do know is that in deep water, New Jersey, I think it was Dupont that was um, making some of these fluoride compounds for this purpose. Uh, they did have, I, I believe, accidental. Releases which did indeed damage uh, farming, particularly the peach orchards there, which which uh, led to a court case, and and they were definitely the 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 notes that have become made of, declassified now make it very clear that the Manhattan Project was very very concerned about liabilities and they were trying to protect themselves against liabilities. And one of the things which they did there, which I think is really pertinent to water fluoridation that they decided that they would collect as much data as they could on low-level exposure to fluoride. And in fact, the chairman of the committee that set up virtually the first trial on fluoridation, which took place in Newburgh, uh, New York, with the control city of Kingston, New York, was Harold Hodge. He was the chairman of the committee of this fluoridation committee to fluoridate this town he was the chief toxicologist of the manhattan project and is harold hodge and he has since uh, after after the war he became the number one apologist for fluoridation promoter of fluoridation and a highly respected uh, guru in toxicology telling everybody that at one part per million fluoridation is perfectly safe and you can see a shot of him in fact on our website, if you go to our website and look at the video, Professional Perspectives on Water Fluoridation, that's at fluoridealert.org. It's the third revolving masthead on the top of the home page. You can click on that, watch it online. Right at the beginning of that videotape is a black and white shot of this fellow in a white coat drawing on the blackboard. At one part per million, the fluoride is safe. There's no need to delay fluoridation, blah, 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 blah. So for 20 or 30 years, he was the one that persuaded people 
that fluoridation w- was safe. And um, incidentally, he was also part of a team that injected plutonium into people to see oh, what God. plutonium would do to people and um, without their consent, without their, their knowledge. So it gives you some idea of the characters involved there. But I think this is early history stuff, and I think that's interesting. Um, I think Fluoride, the, the book by Bryson is brilliant. I think the interview, if you want to watch an interview with Bryson, you can also get that from our webpage. But I'm much more interested in why it continues today. And there I think you've got, um, you've got several interests. I think the sugar industry has always been interested in fluoridation as a way of deflecting from the fact that we are eating far too much sugar. Our kids are eating far too much sugar, too much candy, too ah, much the cookies, soft drinks and so on, which is rotting their teeth, yes. which is rotting their teeth and making them obese and so on and so on. And for them, fluoridation was always, from 1949 onwards, uh, the magic bullet to deflect attention from sugar. Uh, and they, but they paid a lot of money to university professors like um, Fred Stair at Harvard, chairman of the nutrition department, which they helped set up, um, to go to Congress and explain that sugar was a wonderful nutrient, that Coca-Cola was a nutritious drink, and that fluoridation is the best thing since sliced bread. So the sugar industry is in there. And, and maybe the pharmaceutical industry is a beneficiary because of some of the side effects of fluoride are actually produced uh, the biggest selling uh, uh, medications. For example, I think the second or third most so- selling prescription in the United States is Synthroid for lowered thyroid, for those with lower thyroid function. And fluoride is implicated in lowering thyroid function. Yes, of Another big seller are painkillers, um, which again, uh, fluoride is implicated in, in, in arthritic like symptoms in the bones and the joints. So, but. To me, the, the, this is all conjecture. That part is conjecture. Now, this is also conjecture, but I think it's the big one. I think from the people that are in public health, remember fluoridation is a public health practice extolled by the Center of Disease Control, Department of Health and Human Services, the best things since sliced bread. For them, I think they feel that if they lose fluoridation, it will lose the public's trust in them, in public health. It will threaten other public health practices. And the moment you pull that scab off, then, you, then you're looking at the multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical industry. You're looking at vaccinations and other public health practices. So I think personally that for many of the big players in these health agencies, fluoridation saving a minuscule amount of tooth decay at best of children is a very, very minor interest. But it's a major interest in keeping the lid on um, public's, the public's trust in their pronouncements. If they admit now, after 60 years, they've been selling us a, a can of worms, a, a whole sham practice in the name of, of fluoridation for treating our kids, then people are going to get suspicious about some of the other things that they're doing. And you only have to have a few people thinking like that, by the way, because when you look at public health policy, it's established at the center, it's established at the center of disease control. And then you go down a line of command. You go down to each state health department, which then goes down to each uh, county and local health boards, right down to the local district doctors and so on. And the people in the chain of command are not used to challenging policy. 
They don't see their job as making policy or changing policy. They see their job as carrying out policy. And if they don't do that, if bureaucrats are seen to challenge public policy, the policy of their institute, then they're seen as troublemakers, they won't get promoted, um, and they might even get fired. And so that's why you see an enormous number of people that could change this practice towing the line. And as far as the people at the very bottom of the chain of command, your individual doctors and dentists, most of them were only taught one thing at a dental school or medical school. And now, today, they're so busy in their practices treating patients that they don't have much time left over to study the literature. Well, and uh, it's good, but it, up, it goes further than that, Paul. Uh, you know, they, they are... Uh, they are under basically command from the American Dental Association uh, that if they speak out against fluoride, which the American Dental Association is uh, heavily invested in, if they speak out against fluoride or mercury, uh, then they, uh, they, they will lose their license. They are considered having done an unethical practice, and they have stand to lose their licenses. So it's not well, just... That was certainly the tr- that that was certainly the case a few years ago with mercury amalgams, and we have litany of examples where where dentists have have, have uh, experienced some pretty nasty, intimidating uh, pressures on them to tow to tow the line. Exactly. And I, I give you an indication. I mean, this is black and white now because of people listening to this, or they wonder whether we're making this up, but let me give you a quote from 1979. This is a a white paper from the American Dental Association in 1979, which is quite shocking. It says, um, dentists uh, dentists do not have to be familiar with the scientific literature, and they explain what they meant by that, (laughs) to be effective promoters of fluoridation. Promoters. Yes, they, they, they don't have to be familiar with the literature to be effective promoters of fluoridation, and a failure to do so is an, advert, advert, um, an overt neglect of professional responsibility. And when you have an overt, uh, an overt breach like that, then the ADA comes after you and t- tries to take your license away. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if they're trying to do that today because I think they've lost so much ground here. I th- there was one recent survey, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten who carried this out. But I think they sh- it's something like 30% of dentists no longer uh, support the notion of water fluoridation. Unfortunately, mine does. <laughs> yeah, but most of, them, most of them continue to support fluoride for topical applications. But many have worked out that putting it in the drinking water just does not make sense. It's absolutely stupid. It's bizarre. As I said before, you can't control the dose once you put it in the water. You can't control who gets it. It goes to everyone. It goes to children. It goes to babies. It goes to elderly people. It goes to sick people. It goes to people with poor nutrition. We're allowing... Here's the crazy part. We're allowing a whole. Before before we get into a whole new uh, new area, uh, we're coming up on another break, Paul. So uh, I'm going to have to. uh, I'm going to have to hold hold that thought until after we come back. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yep. You bet. This is this is Howard Strauss uh, on the power of natural healing, and we're having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Paul Connett about the dangers of fluoride and fluoridation. Uh, We've already spoken with uh, Kathy Justice, and we've already had some uh, indication from uh, Dr. 
Dr. David Kennedy, a dentist, uh, on, on the dangers of fluoride. But here we have a very, very uh, distinct and, and careful uh, chemist, chemical scientist who, uh, uh, who really understands it. We'll be back uh, just on the other side of the break. Uh, this is brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com and the Gerson Institute, gerson.org. Um, please stay with us, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Power of Natural Healing with your host, Howard Strauss. To be a part of our discussion this week, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com. And now, back to The Power of Natural Healing. Hi, this is The Power of Natural Healing. I'm Howard Strauss, your host. And we're on the line here with Dr. Paul Connett, uh, and we're having uh, an amazing conversation. Uh, Dr. Connett has been uh, telling us, uh, clarifying exactly what and how uh, fluorine and fluoride uh, affects your bones, your health, uh, human human cancers, um, whether whether or not it affects your teeth, and so forth. Um, and one of the arguments against um, fluoridation of the water. Is that you can't control the dosage, uh, Doctor Connett? Can you can you tell us the, the kind of variations between uh, dosages when people are so people are re- recommended to drink eight glasses of water uh, per day? Um, many people I know don't don't do that, but um, but many people do. Yeah, uh, this is this comes back to the fact that when when the people establish regulations in the United States on, on things like this, they they always consider the average person. 
and and we have to consider the person that the most vulnerable person the person that's most exposed now the water regulations the level safe drinking water standards are based upon the assumption that the average person drinks two liters of water a day but we have the institute of medicine recommending that people drink three liters of water a day and when i was in western australia earlier last year I met a chief executive officer of a mining company who's telling me that his workers drank between 10 and 12 liters of water a day. They had a backpack with water in it, a tube, and they were drinking all day long to replace all the perspiration and so on. So, yes, there's a huge range in consumption of water, and also there's a quite a large range of the fluoride that we get from other sources, including dental products, pesticide residues on food, some foods with natural fluoride in it so there's a huge range of dose but the other thing which, pharmaceuticals oh absolutely they, well not all of those they don't some of those pharmaceuticals break down to, to free fluoride ion when we ingest them to take them for medicine most of them do not so that's um that's a complicated issue but to to go to why this is such a bad practice, one of the other things that war fluoridation, of course, is, is it's a violation of the individual's right to informed consent to medication. The only thing that they can come back with on that, the pros, is to say, well, it's not medication. We're just adding a nutrient. But whatever, whether you call it a nutrient or a medicine, if you add a substance or if you give someone a substance to fight a, a disease, which in this case fighting tooth disease, it is a medication by definition. It's a substance that you use to fight a, a disease. It's a medicine. Anyway, um, where was I going with that? Oh, yes, it's a violation of the individual's right to informed consent. Any doctor out there uh, knows about the individual's right to informed consent. If they don't, just go to the webpage, the American Medical Association. What a doctor has to do, in theory, is to tell the patient what the medicine is good for, what he's designed to cure, to tell the patient about the side effects, the downside, and then it's the patient, in theory, who makes up his or her mind as to whether they're going to take it or not. And when you fluoridate the water, you've ripped that right away from citizens. And now what we're doing is we're allowing the whole community, in some cases the whole state, to do to everyone what an individual doctor can do to no one we are allowing councils to play doctors when they don't even have a medical training or a medical certificate it, 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 there's one layer of preposterousness on top of another in this in this practice but i want to share a couple of facts with people which i think should shake especially people on the other side this should shake your confidence the first one is even the promoters now recognize that the major benefit of fluoride is topical. It works on the outside of the enamel. We also know that fluoride is extremely active biologically. Fluoride, I'm not talking about fluorine, we don't come into contact. The vast majority of the public never comes into contact with fluorine. And a good thing. Yeah, thank you. Um, but they do come into contact with fluoride, courtesy of the American Dental Association, by drinking, drinking their, their water. And so we have lots of evidence that this is a very biologically active substance. It interferes with many things in the body. So yeah, think about this. There are two things which I can state categorically. One, 
They've never, ever demonstrated any single biological process in the body that needs fluoride. Nothing is dependent upon fluoride inside the body. And secondly, I can state categorically, there are many, many biological processes which are harmed by fluoride, enzymes inhibited by fluoride, fluoride interfering with uh, hydrogen bonds, fluoride interfering with G proteins, and most recently, ribo-messaging systems. So there's many things which are harmed by fluoride. So you're on a hiding to nothing. When you swallow fluoride, it doesn't do any darn good, and... Uh, but it can do you potentially a lot of harm. Uh, that is not a good risk-benefit equation at all. It, okay, it is, the second fact. So why, second why, fact, why, does our, why does our government then insist on, on continuing to ram it down our throats? I think it's the loss of credibility that they're worried about. They, they wax, going back, they used to believe it. I mean, the, the, in the beginning, there were some pretty shonky studies, but that they, were, they convinced themselves that this really worked, and there are many dentists and doctors out there that really believe that it works. It really is a belief system, and quite frankly, fluoridation is the backbone of public health dentistry. In fact, it's, it's more than that. It's what gave dentistry the prestige, uh, bringing it on, power, on a par with medicine. If you go back before 1948, uh, dentist, dentistry was the, very much the poor cousin in, in medicine. But in 1948, they built the National Institute of Dental Research in Bethesda, Maryland. And that was based, that re- research institute was based on this new coming practice called fluoridation. And many of the pioneers of fluoridation went on to become the principal officers in the National Institute of Dental Research. So it, it, it's become the backbone. It's the contribution that dentistry has made to public health in their view. If you're a researcher, you know where the money is going to come from from your re- research, but you've got to say that fluoridation is the best thing since sliced bread to get it. Um, so that's how it's got embedded in the psyche of the dental community. They're very proud of, proud of this, and, and they buttress this pride by keeping people away from the literature. And it's only when you get people like myself, a retired professor of chemistry, who's got plenty of time to read the literature. Actually, I snuck it into my career because I was reading it as part of my teaching. I was teaching my students about this crazy practice for a number of years and, and giving many examples of how it violated basic toxicology, not least of which, by the way, is this whole business about concentration and dose. To this day, you have people out there saying, oh, we tightly control. You don't have to worry about fluoridation. We, have, we tightly control the concentration of the waterworks. But of course, what they t- can't tightly control, as we've discussed earlier, is they can't control the dose. Now, in terms, and the other thing that they say is, oh, well, one part per million, which is the level they put in the water, one part per million, so teeny, weeny, weeny, it couldn't possibly hurt you. Well, of course, the, the real guideline for what can hurt a baby is the level in mother's milk. This is one of the facts that shook me 15 and a half years ago when I first got involved was the level in mother's milk, incredibly low, 0.004 parts per million. And what this means in practical terms is that a bottle-fed baby in a fluoridated community 
where the formula is made up of tap water, is getting 250 times more fluoride than a breastfed baby, or to put it another way, 250 times more fluoride than nature herself had determined was necessary for a baby. So if you believe in fluoridation, you believe that nature screwed up big time and that dentists know more about what the baby needs than Mother Nature. Now, in terms of the evidence that this was a huge mistake, a huge mistake, um, look at the dental fluorosis rates in this country today. The CDC in 2010 said that 41% of children aged 12 to 15 have a condition called dental fluorosis. And dental fluorosis is a marking, mottling of the teeth, discoloration of the teeth, which is incidentally irreversible. And this is an indicator that the child has been overexposed to fluoride before their permanent teeth have come out. And when they started fluoridation in 45, they thought that only 10% of the kids would be impacted by the very mild form. But now we have um, something like 9% impacted by the mild form and between 2 and 3% of kids between 12 and 15 impacted by the severe or moderate or severe form which 100% of the enamel is impacted. And incidentally, both black and Hispanic children are more severely impacted by dental fluorosis. So this, this whole practice is an example of environmental injustice with, in, in capital letters, environmental injustice, because it is the uh, low-income families, minority families, which are least able to avoid fluoride, fluoridated water, if they don't want it on the one hand, but two, are the most vulnerable to fluoride's toxic effects um, because of the likelihood that they're more likely to have a poor nutrition in low-income families. Uh, Paul, I have to break in here. We have another break coming up in a couple of minutes. Um, and um, and I do want to I do want to talk about uh, the effect of uh, fluoride fluoridation in water uh, uh, in young children, as uh, yes. determined in a Harvard study uh, a few years ago, and what happened yep. to that study. Uh, on the other side of the break, we'll talk about that. Okay, um, yep. this is uh, this is the power of natural healing. Uh, I'm Howard Strauss, your your host, and we're speaking with Dr. Paul Conet. Uh, who's a marvelous authority on fluoridation of water, and um, and and its health health effects on uh, on our children, on our population, um, and um, brought to you by Gerson Health Media, GersonMedia.com. We invite you to look uh, on, on that website to uh, to to get all kinds of uh, wonderful, usable health information, and the Gerson Institute at Gerson.org. Org, bringing you natural healing for 30 over 30 years. Um, once again, we'll see you on the other side of the break. Uh, please stay with us. Uh, this is Howard Strauss, The Power of Natural Healing. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the KidStar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. 
Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness, radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. You are listening to The Power of Natural Healing with your host, Howard Strauss. To be a part of our discussion this week, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com. And now, back to The Power of Natural Healing. Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, this is The Power of Natural Healing. I'm Howard Strauss, your host. And um, this uh, brought to you by uh, Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com. All kinds of good literature, videos, uh, and information on maintaining your health naturally. And the Gerson Institute, bringing you natural healing for over 30 years at gerson.org. Gerson.org. That's G-E-R-S-O-N. Um, Dr. Carnett was uh, speaking about the health effects of um, uh, fluoride, fluoride and fluoridation on children's teeth. Um, and as I understand it, uh, Dr. Carnett, that uh, the the modeling of the teeth is not is not from a dye uh, or a stain, but more uh, from the, the actual malformation of um, uh, of the calcium of the teeth. And as, and as I understand it, malformation of tissue is the first first stages of cancer. And if your calcium is malforming in the teeth, then uh, it might have those effects on on children's bones. Is that correct? Well, I, I wouldn't jump from malformation of the teeth to cancer, but yes, we, we can get to cancer in a second. The gamble that was taken, and we go into this in our book, in 1950 when the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed fluoridation with no trials completed and, and practically no medical uh, safety studies done. The gamble that was taken was that they knew the fluoride would increase dental fluorosis rates. That was a given. They knew that. And the assumption was that while fluoride was impacting the growing tooth enamel, by a systemic mechanism, which is what you were getting at, Howard, I think it's systemic. It works inside the body to right. damage the growing tooth cells. But as far as the benefit is concerned, it's on the outside of the tooth. It's topical. So the harm is systemic. The benefits are topical. Therefore, you don't want to swallow fluoride. But um, they, and this was such an unlikely proposition. I mean, if fluoride was damaging these growing cells, which constitute the teeth, what was it doing to the bones? After all, the teeth grow out of the bones. What, what damage was it doing to their bones? And, and what damage was it doing to other tissues like the brain? And I mentioned earlier in the program that there are now 25 studies which indicate a lowering of IQ associated with fluoride. We're not doing those studies in the United States. We just, uh, we're doing very few studies on the health of communities. If you don't look, you don't find. The absence of studies is not the absence of harm. But 
they did in the, uh, going a little bit of history now. In 1977, uh, two scientists, Dr. Yam Yanis and Dr. Burke, caused quite a stir in in Congress when they brought up the fact there was a higher cancer rate in the Floridated communities versus the non-Floridated communities. Very controversial, a lot of backwards and foreign. But the end result of that in 1977 is the Congress said to the National Toxicology Program, you've got to do an animal study to see if there's any relationship between fluoride and cancer. So they did. It took them 13 years, well, at least they didn't publish it until 1990. And lo and behold, what they found was a number of cancers, but they were all downgraded suspiciously, except for one, which was an increase in osteosarcoma in the male rats. And that threw a spanner into the works. There were front page articles in Newsweek and so on. Is this the end of fluoridation? Osteosarcoma. Sarcoma is a bone cancer. Bone cancer. Bone cancer. Hmm. Okay. Nasty bone cancer. And the, one of the results of this is the National Institute of Health put a lot of money into researching this issue. And they chose for the researcher. Now, this is bizarre. They chose as a researcher the chairman of the dentistry department at Harvard, a dental professor, a dental professor who was known to be pro-fluoridation, who was a consultant for Colgate. And it, when you've got a sensitive issue like the fact that fluoridation may be killing young boys, <laughs> um, and you give this to a known promoter of fluoridation, um, a dentist, it's extraordinary. But that's what they did. Anyway, run the clock forward to 2001, and his graduate student, Elise Basson, found a remarkable finding. She found that if young boys were exposed to fluoride in their sixth, seventh, and eighth years, this is in a brilliant study, by the way, it was a case control study, very well done. She found that those boys had a five to seven fold increased risk of uh, getting osteosarcoma by That's the age huge. of 20. That's huge. And this is frequently, yeah, five to seven fold, 500 to 700% increase. That, that is indeed huge. Now, you would have thought at this point that if any scientist had found out that uh, the practice, which was going to at that time about 160, 170 million Americans, and it might be killing a few young boys each year, that this would have become public uh, furore. Yeah, like, like, but, the, like the plastic bags that cleaners were putting out. That killed a couple of children. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so what happened? What happened was that Chester Douglas... That this professor that we're talking about it didn't tell the public or his peers um, or the National Research Council or his funders about this. Uh, he even went to Britain in, in 2002, a year after this uh, thesis, which he signed, and said, my work shows no relationship between fluoridation and osteosarcoma, <laughs> even though it's great. And anyway, eventually my son found this thesis in the rare book section of a, uh, the, one of the Harvard libraries. So I'm acting on a tip off. He found this PhD thesis. He made it public. And um, it, it got out to the public. It got, it got covered in the Washington Post and Fox News and one or two other places. Eventually, in 2006, her study, Elise Basson's study, was published in the same journal 
The guy that behaved like the proverbial dr drug snail as far as publishing her work or talking about her work is speeds into action. And in the same issue of the journal that publishes her paper, he puts in a letter which says, this is very preliminary and our study does not substantiate this finding, our bigger study. And he promised the study for the summer of 2006. And all those promoters of fluoridation, official agencies around the world, um, they all used this promise of a study, which was not peer-reviewed or published, as if it was counteracting evidence, as if, as if this was a published study to negate any concerning concern about Basson's findings. And this lasted for five years, this went on for. He's supposed to have published his study in the summer of 2006. It wasn't published in two, until 2011. And guess what? When the study came out, it was lousy. There was no way that that methodology that he chose could have refuted Bassin's thesis because it was all based upon fluoride bone levels. And fluoride bone levels are determined after the fact, they're determined at autopsy or biopsy. After the child has been diagnosed with osteosarcoma or died from osteosarcoma, oh, that's when the bones were measured. And there's no, the, the fluoride levels in the bone is cumulative. You've got no way of knowing what was happening to those kids in their sixth, seventh, and eighth years, which was the, the key finding of 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 Bassin. Paul, we're, co Paul we're coming we're coming up on the end okay. of the program. Um, okay. What can, what can people to do to avoid fluoride? Look, the easiest way to avoid fluoridation is to get it out of the water. Fluoridation is as easy to end as turning off a tap. But to turn off that tap, you need political will, and to get the political will you need to inform masses of people and organize masses of people. Well, Howard, think, you're now part been, of that practice. We, we have, I think we have, done, uh, we have done a major part in, uh, in, yes. in informing people. Uh, I wish it could be many, many more millions who listen to it, but, um, but you have provided real good and usable information here. Can, can I end up with some very positive news? How very, sorry quickly, to interrupt. very quickly. Last year, last year, 37 communities in Canada, America, and New Zealand stopped fluoridation. Over 3 million people were liberated from fluoridation. If anybody's interested in being a point person in their community or in their state to get this out of their community, please contact us on our webpage. Fantastic. And I urge everybody to look in on that webpage, fluoridealert.org, fluoridealert.org for the Fluoride Action Network and Paul Connett, who is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, advocate for getting fluoride out of your, your system, your children's system, and the whole and the community at large. Um, this, is, uh, this is the power of natural healing. Brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com. We invite you to uh, stop in and uh, look at gersonmedia.com, sign up for our newsletter, um, and and uh, look at the various different um, the various different literature and DVDs and and information and testimonials that we have on there. Uh, it's really stunning. Um, we'll see you next week. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, GersonHealthMedia.com and the Gerson Institute at Gerson.org Thanks for listening.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss. Please join us again next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until that time, have a healthy, happy week.